I had a guy that was working for me that ran my, the whole back end of my business. And when I saw his resume initially, it said Sergeant of Marines. Well, I knew something about this young man that most people didn't know. I know that he was trained to be a leader, and I know that he was trained to train other leaders. And one of the things that uh, really kind of drove it home for me with him was um, he would come to me and he would say, hey, I just want to let you know that we had a problem with the truck. We had a problem with the generator. We had a problem with the process. There was a quality issue. And he would say, and by the way, here's how I fixed it. And nine out of 10 times, it was exactly what I would have done. Oh, can you imagine having a, a team full of folks like that? That just frees you up to really not worry and it frees you up mentally uh, so that you can work on the business instead of working in the business. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, entrepreneur and fellow podcaster, Frank Gustafson. Now, Frank has two podcasts, Lead Like a Marine and The Leader's Bookshelf. And today, Frank talks to us about the lessons he learned in the military, how to help people transitioning out of the military, and why hiring someone transitioning out could be a great move for your organization. Now, unlike my co-host, John Ramstead, I never served in the military, but I found this conversation fascinating. So even if you've never served, you may like it. If you know anyone that is currently in the military or has served in the past, this would be a great episode to share with them and introduce them to eternal leadership. Here now is how John and I got this conversation with Frank Gustafson started. Well, I'm excited today to bring you guys a good friend of mine, Frank Gustafson. I've known Frank for, for 15 years. When I moved back to Minnesota after getting out of the Navy, Frank had built an incredible company. He was just known in the community as just this phenomenal businessman and leader and a giver. He was somebody who was mentoring people. He was just somebody that you wanted to be around, you wanted to spend time with. And I know that uh, some very close friends of mine just benefited uh, very meaningfully from a relationship with Frank and being in, you know, part of his circle and in his company. So having you on today, Frank, is just, uh, just a, a privilege for me personally, and uh, thank you for making the time. Well, thanks, John. And it's a privilege for me, too, brother, to be counted in uh, your circle of friends, because I, I feel the same way about you, my friend. Well, you are too kind. You, you you set the standard high, so I'm just you know I'm just trying to get to uh, the new bar here. Well, hey hey Frank, as we get started, uh, I would love for you to share a little bit with the audience so they get to know you a little bit the way I've I've come to know you over the last 15 years. Wow, you know I you know I guess it all started many years ago back here in Texas. Um, uh, it was kind of a kind of a rocky start. I ended up dropping out of high school with a couple of weeks left in school, and uh, I had always had this ambition in life, this vision of being a millionaire. By the time I was thirty, and I found myself after I dropped out of school, my my dad said, "Well, you're not going to go to school. You're not going to live here." So I had to go find a place to live, and I was in this dingy little efficiency apartment and I'm sitting there and I've got a mattress and and a chair and a pan to make popcorn and that's all I had in the whole place. How old were you, Frank? I, I was 18. Nice. And I was I was reflecting on life thinking, all right, m me millionaire, I, I'm not on the right road to get to there. And uh I said, what do I need? What what am I missing in life? And I determined that it was discipline. And I said, where in the world can I get some discipline? And I remembered seeing the Marine Corps silent drill team a couple of years prior at the State Fair of Texas. And I said, those cats have got discipline. That's what I need to do. So I went off and ended up getting a waiver and was able to join the Marine Corps, spent six years in the Marine Corps Reserve. And that was really kind of the 
the beginning of the rest of my life. It really set the stage for me being in the Marines, and, and uh, it set my leadership stage. It set my integrity stage. It set uh, um, maybe not my moral compass, but uh, a, a lot of things that I've been able to build on in my life really have been built on that foundation that I, that I built while I was in the Marine Corps. You know, Frank, as you went through that process in the Marines, you know, coming from a, a pretty rebellious growing up, I, I know some of your backstory, and it was, uh, you, were, you were your own man. Uh, you didn't take a lot of input from others. What was the biggest thing that changed for you over that, that time in the Marine Corps that you've brought out into what you're doing after you got out of the Marine Corps? Oh, man, that's a great question, John. Um, the biggest change for me, I, you know, I think was just, and I was raised, I was kind of raised with, with this standard of integrity in my home. While I didn't necessarily live it myself, I think that the integrity that my father instilled in me and the integrity that I, that I gained in the Marine Corps that, or that I really started to understand the real meaning of in the Marine Corps really kind of set the stage for me. And I think that that integrity is, is kind of the number one value in my life. And I think you, you, you know, when you leave this planet, you, the only thing you leave behind that's, that's worth anything is your good name. And that is the most important thing for me. So I really think that that was probably paramount to me. Were you, were you living in your integrity prior to the Marine Corps or did the Marine Corps show you how powerful integrity could be when lived out in your life? A good does that, point. Does that make sense? I, yeah, yeah, that's a good point because I think that, you know, gr- growing up in a house where m- my father was, his integrity was impeccable and he had always instilled in me, you know, you're a Gustafson and, the, and this is the way we do things. We set up, we have a certain standard in our home that it was there. I rebelled against it. I ignored it. I tried to get out from under it as much as I could. The Marine Corps kind of brought it all back home for me. And, you know, there are no atheists in a foxhole. We've all heard that saying. And, and I think that uh, just, just being immersed in that system and in that culture really kind of brought it home. I just got done reading um, Stephen Pressfield's book, The Warrior Ethos. And, if man, if you haven't read that book, you've got to read it. It's 90 pages of motivation, and it really – kind of brings that whole piece and, and encapsulates how I felt when I was in the Marine Corps. Well, I'm going to pick up that book. Uh, you know, something's coming to my mind because you've raised kids and I, you know, I have teenagers right now. A lot of our audience are all successful business leaders. They all have kids. And in the, the culture of the world today, have you found some ways just raising your own kids? And this is a little off topic, but to help instill not only integrity, but you know, for them to understand why that's important in their life. Yeah, you know, our kids, if you can call them that, are 22. My youngest just got out of the Marine Corps, so 22, 24, and 29. And uh, my daughter still lives up in Minnesota. She's the oldest, 29. And actually, she just told us we're going to be grandparents in June. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. So we got a, yeah, thank you. So we got another, another uh, generation coming on. But I think that... I, you know, I tried to be like my father as much as I could and set that and set that uh, standard in my home. And, you know, I didn't lie, I didn't cheat, I didn't steal, I didn't, you know, I, I tried to live life. I tried to model for them what my view of integrity is. And I think that if I look back at it and say, was I a great dad? Heck no, I wouldn't say that I was a great dad. I did a lot of things wrong. 
But I think that, you know, being present, being available, um, loving your kids unconditionally, making sure that they know that, that doesn't mean that they, they get away with or they get everything that they want, but just being really unconditional in your love and being there present for them and, uh, underst- and having them uh, making sure that they understand that no matter what happens, you've got their back and there's nothing that they could do. Just like, just like God, there's nothing we can do to lose his love and, and uh, to get out from under that. There's nothing our kids can do to, uh, to destroy that love either. And I think that that's just the best thing you could do for your kids. It, uh, I, I like to say that they're kind of difficult to screw up, you know? <laughs> well, you know, you, you said something that I think is really important. It's about being present. I was working, I've actually worked with a number of my coaching clients on this. I had them go back and ask their kids, what's their impression of, of mom or dad at night at home? And the common theme was on the phone. And people have become so addicted to just being distracted by the dings and beeps and buzzes of this phone. And one thing I think we can all do is if we just have a a phone-free zone, take two or three hours, turn the phone off, and just be present with the kids, with our wives, with our husbands, whatever it happens to be, the return on investment of our relationships would just be immeasurable. So just as a sidebar. I second that. Great, great, great advice. Now, hey, now coming out, and here's something I noticed. You know, I was, uh, I wasn't in the Marine Corps. They wouldn't let me in. I couldn't pass the entrance exam, as you know. We uh, can't all be Marines. No, we can't. But I did get in the Navy, and uh, after eight years in the Navy, just being part of that culture. Right, it's a culture of integrity. Uh, you can depend on people. They're unselfish. Uh, they take initiative. Uh, they're decisive. Uh, you know, a lot of the you know the traits of the Marine Corps leadership manual that you look through. You guys live and breathe that. When I got out into uh, the civilian world, I one of the things I noticed so quickly was all that was missing in most in all the first corporate cultures that I was in. And I know that you've done a very good job of taking those kind of very powerful traits and weaving them into companies either as you started them or taking a company that didn't have those and bringing those in and transforming the culture that you were that you are a part of. And that's really true leadership is change management. Could you talk a little bit about what those were, Frank, and how you did that? Well, you know, I think that I've done a lot of things in my professional career, you know, starting in the telecom business from the you know small business and then starting another one and growing it to a, a huge business and then leaving that and, and going back and, and, you know, starting another small business and then, uh, you know, my transition out of that into one bold move. I've done a lot of different things and those there's 14 core leadership traits and 11 leadership principles that I believe are paramount. And like you said, you know, I right now a lot of the work that I'm doing is with transitioning veterans. I've put together an online class called One Bold Transition, and one of the keys that that I work through in this class is really helping them understand the value of those leadership traits and those leadership principles and how they can take those and translate those into the civilian world. And to not be surprised when they get into the civilian world to see that that they're not terribly common out here. You know, you you can't be surprised by that. You can't be let down by that. You just need to continue to lead the way that you know how to lead, and and you will rise to the top. It, I mean, it's inevitable, I believe. So when you walk into, you know, as a, a manager or a leader or president of a company and, and you take over in the culture and a lot of these aspects are missing, 
Frank, what did you do to weave that into the companies that you were at? Well, I think back at a time when I was executive vice president of a company and I was I was working on a, a brand new initiative and all of a sudden we lost our IT director. So myself, the other executive vice president and the owner of the company sat down and and um, we're like, okay, well now what are we going to do? We're in, the, we're in, we're growing, we're doing acquisitions, we got a lot of stuff going on, and the my the owner of the company looked at me and he said, hey, I need you to take over IT, and I said, I don't know anything about IT. He said, well, we don't have an IT problem. There, it's a good team. We've got a people issue in our IT department, and he said, mm-hmm. and you do know people. So the thing that I did was I went into that group, and I did. I I love the the strength finder assessment put out by Gallup. And what I did yeah. was I did a strength finder assessment with all of the, with the entire IT department. And in doing that, it helped kind of maybe realign some people and, you know, take some responsibilities here and add some responsibilities here. And maybe some people didn't fit on the team and we, you know, we gently remove those people from the team. And I think the thing that it did was it gave everybody permission to be who they were and it helped everybody else know who each other were and was and understand their strengths and their talents. And I think if you can start, if you can start accentuating the talents and the strengths of, of individuals and respecting those talents and strengths and using those and utilizing those on a day-to-day basis, it kind of creates a foundation that the, that the rest of this leadership kind of lays upon, right? So then you can, then you can start uh, working through things like judgment and dependability and initiative and decisiveness and tact and integrity, enthusiasm, you know, unselfishness, courage, knowledge, loyalty, all of those leadership traits that, that the Marine Corps brings us that, that, that I learned in the Marine Corps, you can start infusing those things into a culture and into an environment after everybody really understands their place then you can start building on leadership and building your team around those. Well, you said something I don't know if everybody might pick up on, but when you did the Strength Finder assessment, now everybody could understand who everybody else was and what people were about. So you took a step of not just taking this as a manager and looking at the results and then trying to put the right people in the right seat on the bus. Did you take that and share that with the group and have a conversation so people understood each other? Absolutely. It was part of it was part of our process to really understand these 34 traits and understand who had which traits and kind of what those mean. And it was like, oh, you know, I, I, here, let me give you a better example of that. All right. My wife and I took the assessment. Okay. And prior to that, I felt like she was trying to finish me off. And she says, no, I'm trying to complete you. And I said, yeah, it's trying to finish me off. No, I'm trying to complete you. So we, once we understood <laughs> as a husband and wife, what each other's strengths were, it, it helped a lot because I think, you know, the five strengths that I've got are really kind of the perfect storm to be kind of a, uh, pardon my French, but kind of an ass. Um, and my wife kind of felt that way until she understood what my strengths were and then she said, oh, okay, I understand who you are. Being an activator is a little, being married to an activator is apparently fairly difficult. And once she understood. <laughs> is an a- is activator all, a corollary to a Marine? Well, kind of, kind of. An activator just runs off down the path and, and just charges forward. And if they at some point feel, uh, understand that they're on the wrong path, they're not afraid to switch paths, but they're going to keep going, right? They're going to, they got to be moving all the time. 
So it, it really helped. It helped her, she and I understand each other, and it really helped in our marriage. And I think that that same principle worked in that IT group. It helped people understand and respect the differences of the rest of the people on the team. Well, you know, if you read uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, the first right. foundational principle that he talks about, and it's one of my favorite books, I give it to my clients all the time, is trust and building trust. And the first step of building trust is you have to know the other people on your team as people, as humans, know their backstory, know their strengths, know their weaknesses. So not only do you know where they kind of fit in the team, uh, but you know, like you're talking about, maybe you're an activator, maybe you're on my team and we're in the IT department or the sales department or the finance, could be all the different groups. But uh, all of a sudden I realized Frank is, you know, he's off and running again and it's really annoying me, but you know what, that's who Frank is. So either I have to, uh, you know, embrace that and figure out how to leverage Frank's strengths that he's bringing to the team or just sit here and be continually annoyed, which creates this toxic environment that I think a lot most companies still struggle with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, know, knowing and understanding people's individual strengths and talents really helps you to kind of cope and get along with them better, I think. So, you know, once people started to develop that trust and, and know each other in both this IT department and other areas, what what did you do then, Frank, to build on that, to make a the team more productive, the company create some velocity toward the overall goals that you were trying to achieve? Well, in this particular case, I think that that there was uh, there were trust issues inside of the team, and then there were trust issues outside of the team. It was kind of an island that had been built where they didn't really trust the rest of the company, and the rest of the company didn't really trust them. Um, they kind of they kind of hid behind uh, voicemail, they hid behind email. Um, they were slow to take care of problems. They were there was a lot of blaming. There was a lot of finger pointing going back and forth. So. One of the things that I did was really kind of step back and said, let's evaluate what our mission is as a company and what we do as a company and how incredibly important your role as a systems administrator is to, to that. And hey, Frank, how- when you first asked that question, could people answer it? What is the mission no, of the company? No, no, no. No, they, they couldn't. And and I I went down so far as to even start talking about here's how here's how the things that you do daily affect the families of our customers and really try to drive it all the way home and so that they could they could buy into the vision they could buy into the mission so they understood that the things that they do were doing on a daily basis while seemingly potentially mundane on the surface affected you know Sally's ability to pick her kids up from school on time i mean it was it it got down to the we really took it down to the nitty gritty and once people really bought into that and understood how how critical and how important their role was it things really came together and they gelled so you really took the time to connect that person's daily activity uh to the overall kind of why it's I guess it's to the why, right? What what's important about this? You gave meaning to their work and 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 yeah. pulled them into the vision of the company. Which what was the result of that with the team? Man, uh, it was night and day. They gelled. 
they started actually liking the rest of the people in the company. Uh, the barriers came down. The we built bridges. And some of these things sound cliche, don't they? But you know, it it really it helped the team to connect to the rest of the company, and the company connect to the rest of the team, and it built trust. Trust was really important, and it built that trust. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think. Uh, you know, you read all the surveys about, you know, how do you keep people motivated, which is this constant moving target, but money is not, is never in the top 10 list or rarely. And I think a big part of it is people want to be doing meaningful work, especially millennials that are coming into the workforce now. They want to be appreciated uh, and they, they want to be respected. And if you look at those three, what you did as, you know, this is real true leadership is you created an environment where these people understood the meaning of their work. They were appreciated by the people on their team because you developed the trust. And then when I understand you and I know you as a person, I start treating you with a level of respect that I'm guessing was not there before, which then cleared the way for some pretty amazing things to happen. And that's been the case with a lot of the clients that I've worked with, companies I've been in. When you have a culture like that that you create where people understand why they're there, they're working in their strengths, they're communicating and holding each other accountable, uh, it's a place that people love to show up in the morning and and come to work because they know why they're there. Yeah. Man, that was 10 years ago. I should have wrote a book. You know, you should. Well, you still have time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> now, you know, as you did all this, uh, Frank, you know, I, you, you look at them. I know the Marine Corps leadership principles are definitely on the tip of your tongue and part of everything that you do. How did that marry up with, with your faith and the other things that you were also trying to bring in from, from that perspective into work? How did, how did those two come together? Well, you know, when you talk about, you know, your faith and, and kind of your moral compass, it was interesting on my Facebook sites the other day, somebody made a comment about the about Marine Corps leadership versus some of the Department of Labor laws. And you can't do this and you can't do that because, you know, you can't do, put the Marine Corps stuff into the business because of these labor laws. And I totally disagree with that. I totally disagree with that. That's that's a myopic view of the way that leadership works inside of the Marine Corps and inside of the military in general, because leadership is all about taking care of people, all about taking care of your troops, all about taking care of your Marines or your sailors or your airmen or your soldiers. And that's what, that's the, that, that's what leadership is. Okay. You know, and that, that jives with my moral compass that jives with what I know that the Bible teaches and, and that is to, you know, to love your neighbor. So it that all there's no um, there's no uh, dichotomy there. It, it's it all jives to me. It runs parallel. You know, interesting what you said about the labor laws. Uh, what was that specifically? I, I'm just curious. Is are there are there people <laughs> out question. there saying there's things that are good leadership traits that you're not really supposed to do because you might get in trouble with the HR department, police. Well, I don't know. I think that you know, I, I I don't know what the what the uh, what the mindset of this person was, but you know, my response to that was, hey, I've been using the leadership traits and leadership principles for thirty years in business, and I've never had any issues with any uh, government entity or no complaints. So I'm not really sure where the heck he was coming from, but I think maybe that maybe there's a view out there that Marine Corps leadership is all about, hey, you 
here's an order, you go do this. And, and they don't understand commander's intent. They don't understand that leadership is driven to the bottom levels. I think it's just a gross misunderstanding of how leadership is and how leadership works inside of our military. Well, you know, that brings up a great point. I, the, the view, I think, of, of military leadership is this very authoritarian structure. I would love for you to share a little bit because the Marine Corps has done this phenomenally. When you're a, a brand new private first class, you're tw- 19, 20 years old, you are given responsibility to make decisions on the battlefield and in, in your unit that people in business would never consider allowing a brand new employee to uh, be able to make decisions and fail and learn from that and have that flow up in through the management and leadership structure. Could you you talk about that, the delegation and how you guys truly develop leadership in the Marines from a, a young age and then how you've been able to bring that all the way through your career? Well, you know, I kind of feel like that at least in the Marine Corps, you're you are being trained as a leader from the from the very first day in boot camp, and that starts with you're chosen for fire watch. You know you're you're chosen for one hour to walk the perimeter of the area and make sure that everything's secure. Make sure that nobody is there that's not supposed to be there. Make sure the people that are there that are supposed to be there stay there, and that everything is secure. So you're trained. You're you're starting to to you're starting your leadership training day one in boot camp, And that leadership training goes throughout your entire career in the Marine Corps, I believe. And, you know, when you talk about things that um, young people are trusted with, they understand. Here's one of the things that I've talked about on my podcast is there's an understanding inside of the Marine Corps, inside of the military, and it's this commander's intent piece where everybody below the commander understands the vision, understands the mission, understands where they're headed, understands their objective, and they're, and they're freed up and given the ability to make decisions to get to that objective. They're told, here's the objective. They're not told how to get to the objective. In the civilian world, it's, it's really difficult because I think leaders are so poor many, most of the time or much of the time at, at taking that vision to the lower levels inside of their company and inside of their teams. So I think that that's a huge difference. M- make sense? I think that's a great point. It's it's not only having a vision, but communicating or even over communicating that vision to everyone in the structure, but then enabling people in that structure in their own way with their own strengths to carry out their part of the vision that they're responsible to versus being uh, given a told exactly what they have to do and, and because that's always going to lead to mediocrity. If I, if I don't free you up to be who you are and make decisions and, and, and have the risk, the potential of failure. If I, if I try to eliminate the potential of, of failure in my company, uh, it'll never be a company that's extraordinary. Yeah. At, at one point in time, I owned a, a, a electronics recycling company and I had a guy that was working for me that ran my, the whole back end of my business and when I saw his resume initially, it said Sergeant of Marines. Well, I knew something about this young man that most people didn't know. I knew that he had raised his hand and volunteered to do something that most wouldn't. I know that he was trained to be a leader, and I know that he was trained to train other leaders. And I knew the responsibility that he had dealt with as a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And one of the things that, that uh, really kind of drove it home for me with him was um, he, would, he would come to me and he would say, hey, 
I just want to let you know that we had a problem with the truck. We had a problem with the generator. We had a problem with the process. There was a quality issue. And, and he would say, and, and by the way, here's, here's, here's how I fixed it. Here's what I did. He didn't come to me with a problem. He didn't come to me with a problem with three solutions. He came to me with a problem to, to keep me in the loop and let me know that we had a problem, but he fixed it, and here's how he fixed it. And nine out of ten times, it was exactly what I would have done. So you really appreciated that, didn't you? <laughs> oh, can you imagine having a, a team full of folks like that? That just frees you up to, to, to really not worry, and it frees you up mentally uh, so that you can work on the business instead of working in the business. Well, you know, it's interesting, Frank, in uh, a Coach's Corner episode that we did that's going to be coming out, one of the questions that came in from one of our listeners was, how do I spend the day working in my strengths and do a better job delegating? And I think you just answered, you know, here's the secret sauce is hire people that have initiative and create a culture where they're, they're not afraid to, you know, uh, take action even though it might be the wrong action. But if you have a group of people that you know that you can trust to be doing the right things all day long, you can spend 90% of your time working in your strengths where a lot of people are stuck at 10 or 20% of their time. Amen. That's the answer right there. Well, yeah. hey, talk a little bit about what you're doing with One Bold Move, One Bold Transition. I know this is a big part of what's on your heart right now and uh, and the podcast. Uh, you have a fantastic podcast I listen to, uh, the, what you're talking about on the podcast right now. So, Well, you know, some of the things that, that I did. So when I sold the business in Minnesota, moved back to Texas, my wife and I were sitting and saying, you know, what's next? And as we talked through kind of our, our life, our lives together, she made a, a statement of that, you know, I made a lot of moves in my professional career and a lot of bold moves. And I'm like, that's a perfect name for a company, One Bold Move. So we started One Bold Move, went out and got my John Maxwell certification for coach, trainer, speaker. Um, I've gone through some Gallup classes, uh, working on that certification, headed through some Ziegler stuff. I, I'm a lifelong learner and I love leadership, so I'm, I kind of gobble up everything I can. And at uh, probably a couple of months into that, I, I decided that I wanted to do a leadership podcast and a, a podcast that would support our military folks. So sitting with a friend and she said, how about lead like a Marine? I said, perfect name. Let's rock and roll. So the activator in me uh, hauled off and started that podcast in December of 2013. And uh, we're a year old now. And what we do there is we talk to veterans who have transitioned successfully about their transition story and about how they've taken their leadership skills and implemented those skills in the civilian world. All of this to help our brothers and sisters that are coming behind. So that, that was in place. Then I had a friend of mine that asked me, who's a, a great guy, a, a franchise attorney, Josh Brown, said, Frank, what are you doing to monetize your platform? And I said, which platform? He said, the Lead Like a Marine platform. I said, nothing, man. I said, I've got, this, I've got an issue making money on the backs of our service members. And he said, I think you're looking at this wrong. He said, what is the lifetime value of the coaching and training that you can bring to our veterans Long term, and I said, I don't know, man. It's uh, you know, a hundred grand a year, a million a year. It, it's there's no there's no ceiling. He said, then why are you afraid to charge two hundred bucks to teach these guys how to transition successfully into the civilian world? And I said, you got a great point. So again, the activator took over, and I and I launched this one bold transition class, 
and uh, we're still in beta with that, but uh, that's OneBoldTransition.com. And then I just started another podcast called The Leader's Library, and that's just kind of based on my desire to read 52 books this year and to help me stay accountable to that vision. So Hmm. a lot of things going on, man. You know, I just (laughs) saw that you came out with Leader's Library. I'm like, why? You are the activator. You're the energizer bunny. Uh, But here's what I would say, though. Anybody listening to this, so many of us know – you know, we have friends, colleagues, coworkers, uh, people uh, uh, from sports and church that have uh, sons and daughters that are transitioning out of the military right now. Uh, you know, go listen to Lead Like a Marine. I've listened to most of the episodes because I work with a lot of veterans. It's the it's what I donate my time to to organizations up here that are helping people transition. It is a fabulous resource. And I'm really glad that you're actually charging for the course. Another free course for these guys. They get so many, offered so many free courses coming out of the military. And and they are, and as you know, they're, they are very low quality. They do not equip these guys. The ones that the militaries have on the base, we have Fort Carson here, uh, don't do a good job of getting these guys ready. So if they have skin in the game and they're making an investment in themselves, they're going to take it seriously, take your time seriously. And I know what they're going to get out of that is to be equipped to come in. And maybe you can just say a few words because you've hired, we both hired a lot of veterans, but there is a huge benefit of hiring somebody who's gone through a, you know, a military background, but then has taken this transition seriously, invested in themselves. And as an employer, what can people expect to get if they're hiring a sergeant in the Marine Corps or a senior petty officer from the Navy or Air Force guy? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I think that some of those, some of the skills, some of the soft skills that they have are really difficult to translate on a resume, really difficult to translate in, in kind of in writing. I would say take a chance on on a veteran. Sit down and talk to them. Um, uh, try to understand what their leadership values are, what their what their life, what their core values are in their life, and understand if that fits into your environment. If that fits into your company culture, give those guys a shot. They can learn. They can they can be trained. Uh, if they've already got the skills, the hard skills that you need, all the better. But if if uh, they've got poten- I, I would I would hire potential over skill with the right person every single time. You know, you know, I agree with that. I always look for for people that had the I, I could teach them the technical skills, but those values, uh, initiative, uh, discipline, you know, just those core character traits was really what I was looking for. So, you yeah, know, and these guys show up for work every day, which is, you know, a, a kind of a, an anomaly <laughs> in this day and age, right? And they show up on time. Yes. Well, yeah, for the most part. Um, anyway, he, as we wrap up, Frank, any any final thoughts to leave with, with people that are listening to us? I mean, our audience are, you know, they're all business owners, business leaders that are really, you know, looking to take their faith and their, their business and, and their relationships to that next level. You know, I'm always looking to connect with folks that are passionate about leadership, that are passionate about our military, and that are really just passionate about, you know, uh, uh, moving forward, um, strength-based leadership. I love that stuff. And the best way to contact me or best way to get a hold of me is my home base, oneboldmove.com. Everything that I do kind of emanates from that home base, oneboldmove.com. And are you doing any coaching, Frank, right now? I am. Yes. You know, as much coaching as I can get. 
Uh, I love coaching people. I love helping people understand their talents and strengths. I love people, uh, you know, uh, helping people move ahead in their lives so that really they can experience and they can achieve their goals and experience greater success in life. That's kind of my mantra. I love that. Well, I would encourage everybody to check out OneBoldMove.com. Frank is one of the most accessible guys out there. If you'd like to shoot him an email or get in touch with him or get on the phone with Frank and just talk about your business, leadership, uh, veterans issues, just what's going on, uh, it would definitely be worth your time. Frank has just been a great mentor and resource to me personally. So, Frank, thank you again so much for your time and coming on today. Amen, brother. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on your show. If you would like to learn more about Frank, his podcasts, how to book him to speak for your event, you can find all that info in our show notes at eternalleadership.com slash 046. That's eternalleadership.com slash 046. If you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer, you can get to those show notes quickly by clicking on the link embedded in the summary of this episode. If we've touched you at any time in the last six months and you found this show beneficial, Could you do us a favor? Either shoot us a message through Twitter at Eternal Leaders or Facebook, facebook.com slash Eternal Leadership, or share this show with someone that you think would like it. And an extra special thank you for those of you that have done that. We've, We've seen some great growth over March and April, and we're hoping to continue that growth here throughout May. So thanks a lot. Next time on Eternal Leadership, executive, consultant, and speaker, Sandra Crawford Williamson. I took whatever job was the next promotion in whatever city. I can remember taking a job one time, not even knowing what city the job was going to be in. Because uh, I thought, well, you know, I had this rule, no pets, no plants, no boys. And it was you do the job and you do it 24-7 and you do whatever it takes to get the, the next the next job and the next digit on your pay stub and the next fancy title on your business card. And so I went in and took the job and, and they said, oh, by the way, it's in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was like, oh, OK, good. I've heard of that at least. <laughs> Sandra shares her journey about busting her tail to work up the corporate ladder to her transition to mentoring women in the workplace with Diane Pattison at Forward. For John Ramston, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.